The Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. In this episode, I interview Kevin Kelly, who's the city council president for the city of Cleveland. And we spoke on May 22nd. We recorded this episode on May 22nd, prior to the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which has sparked all of the national protests and, and here locally as well in the city of Cleveland. Um, so Kevin, neither Kevin nor I knew that that was going to occur and didn't have a chance to address it. So even though this is being released here on June 3rd, it was recorded prior to these events. So without further ado, I give you Kevin Kelly. Councilman? Tim, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm glad uh, glad we got together. Thanks for making the time. I know things must be busy for you at the City Hall, and but uh, thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. I mean, it's an important topic that uh, that we're going to talk about, and you know, things are busy, but we have to really this is the time to focus and come together and make sure that we can uh, put together a strong recovery coming out of this crisis. Absolutely. Um, and we haven't spoken uh, since the coronavirus pandemic took hold of the world essentially, but, uh, how's your family doing? Oh, thanks for asking. I consider myself fortunate that nobody in my family, uh, is sick with coronavirus or any, any symptoms. And I just happen to, I don't know anybody who has it. So I consider myself fortunate. How about your family? Yeah, same here. Um, thank God we don't, we don't have any problems at our family and, uh, don't really know anyone either. Um, I, Part of my job here at CEA is a, a trustee for a lot of the trades health plans. And actually, we haven't seen many positive tests. And, and I don't know of any hospitalizations among the trades health plans. Uh, so that's, you know, that's several tens of thousands of people that haven't that have been working the entire right. working the whole time. They never shut down. And thank God. Uh, yeah. No health, no uh, hospitalizations. I don't know of anyone who's passed in the trades either. So, yeah, and I also consider myself fortunate that uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that are sent home to work, and I'm one of those. And I do most of my work from home, but I, I get paid to do so. There's a lot of people that didn't have the opportunity to work from home and, and be paid, or you know maybe they're having to work. The, the complicated uh, unemployment system that that has crashed, right. and they're you know worried about where the next meal is coming from and putting food on the table. So uh, you know I'm I'm happy that you know, I'm able to at least work from home. Where there's a lot of people that don't, and I really I you know I think about those people a lot. And I think it's there's nothing more important than you know having having a steady income and having a job and being able to rely on the income that you get. That's for sure. And your family, that, your wife is uh, in the healthcare industry. She's a nurse? Yes. Uh, my wife is a nurse. And uh, it has been, uh, that has been kind of inspiring to watch um, how, you know, nurses, they were getting new, you know, new protocols, new marching orders every day, and how they, would conduct themselves and what the rules would be every shift could be different. And, uh, you know, her and her colleagues were very resilient and creative and just, you know, took the, you know, you know, took the, the, uh, you know, all of the new protocols and, 
implemented them and executed. And I think, by and large, um, the, our community did very well through this crisis so far. Um, you know, never perfect, but in terms of uh, adjusting and, and, you know, putting together protocols and, and processes for this crisis, I think we've done very well. And I've, I've seen her and her, you know, all of her nursing colleagues, it's been stressful, but everybody stepped up and we're, you know, in a good spot today. Yeah, well, we certainly appreciate it. for me, she's healthy. She's, she is uh, a lot of, you know, you, you hear a lot about the, not giving the healthcare workers all the, the, the proper equipment they need to, to protect themselves. Um, uh, that's all true, by the way. But unfortunately, um, <laughs> my, my wife was, you know, not adversely affected. She didn't, you know, didn't get any of the symptoms and didn't catch any of the, the, the virus. So, yeah. so, thankful all around. Yeah, well, thank you guys, and thank her for you know all the putting themselves at risk essentially for the you know, to do their jobs and take care of people. Um, yeah, a lot of people like that. A lot of uh, healthcare workers, you know, the ICA in the city, the first responders, police, fire, EMS, but also utilities, uh, the men and women that pick up trash. Uh, it's, there's a lot of people that are out there risking their lives and their health so that you know the world can carry on in as right. normal a fashion as possible. So I, I greatly respect all of them and greatly appreciate all of them. Yeah, we do too. Uh, so you have not gone into City Hall? I have been in. Uh, City Hall is closed except for Tuesdays and Wednesdays between 9 and 2. It's a pretty small window. I've been there just to um, you know, make sure that everything was going according to plan. Try to keep the legislative process moving a little bit. Mm-hmm. Of course, it installed, you know, fairly tremendously, but we were able to set up a virtual meeting platform. So we've had uh, several committee meetings thus far, and we're going to have our first full-on council meeting this coming Wednesday. Okay. Um, we're gonna, so that's a, um, you know, that's where we had to figure out what are the, what are the rules for voting? Who do voice vote? Will that accept, you know, will that, is a voice vote as good as like your signature? We normally will sign the legislation committee hearings. Okay. Uh, but we're going, we've checked with our lawyers and the attorney general's office about open meetings rules and we had to go through all that. But I think we're in a good place and we're, we're ready to go to push forward the, you know, the essential legislation beginning Wednesday. That'll be interesting. And I'm sure you'll learn as you go how, if, if public are allowed to be there for public meeting processes, um, how do they participate or is there an opportunity? So in this time, it'll be the normal, um, the normal process of, you know, if you, if there's an issue, you should always go to the committee chair. Um, the meetings are going to be streamed live on YouTube and our channel 20 and also streaming on the city council website. Um, so we don't have, we, Cleveland does not have a, uh, public participation uh, portion of the meeting okay. that, that happens during the committee process. So if you have a, if there's a committee issue, the public is encouraged, or excuse me, uh, any citywide issue of concern, the public is encouraged to call the chair of the committee that the legislation is in. Um, Cause that's where you know, the committee process is where legislation is amended where decisions are made to table legislation, if it's, it's not good, but that's where all the real work happens. Right. So. Makes sense. 
and yeah, those so I, I think we're ready to go and we'll find out yeah i'm sure you'll have to learn as you go everybody's doing that these days um, right everything yeah, right, right. we'll ask for a little bit of patience uh, as we go through this because like you say we are going to learn as we go right yeah. so how would you describe in terms of the operations for the city how, how what is the coronavirus done to the city operations it is really uh, it's really affected things tremendously and while there's a number of of services and all that are kind of continuing you know it's been it hasn't been easy you know for example we really prioritize construction permitting and making sure that we're able to keep that that process going but when city hall is only open two days a week mm-hmm. you know it wasn't it was, it's hard to keep that process moving as smoothly as it should um same with the you know all the all the general things that we do like the, the department of finance getting contracts signed and like getting things up to council administrative review everything has been slowed down in a pretty substantial way and I think the where where things have gone well is everybody adjusting to the emergency nature of of what what's got to happen. So we really made sure it was all the most that we kept working to put together our list of you know street resurfacing, made sure that the garbage collection kept happening, made sure that um, we were uh, that. We did what we needed to make sure that, you know, police, fire, EMS, everybody was, you know, getting, you know, they were still on schedule and moving forward and also making arrangements for those that had to, had to work at home. But if you can imagine, 8,000 employees um, had to adjust and nobody was on a factor. Everybody had to adjust in some manner. Uh, even if you think about the summer bread and butter functions of the city, you think about our public utilities. Um, you know, you know, despite the risk, you know, people need to have water and they need to have electricity. Right. Um, our Department of Health has been, you know, working overtime and then some. Uh, they have been just really, really stretched, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But in terms of what happens to the city on a day-to-day basis, I would say all essential services are moving forward. The things are. I guess the best word I can say is throttled a little bit because it's been put into a two-day window. And, for example, if you need a permit for whatever project you might be doing or if it's a larger construction project, those are still being processed, but you would have to you know, fill it out, drop it off, um, and then it would be brought up. No, there wasn't a trip to the fifth floor of City Hall anymore and, and you know, going through that process. Right. So everybody's been affected. Um, and it's been, it's been challenging our, and a lot of the challenge is really, is, was not knowing, uh, for example, we just recently, yesterday, I believe, um, the mayor announced that outdoor swimming pools were going to be closed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there was a lot of like lead up to that and like, you know, anxiety, what, what do we do in the summer? What about summer events? What about little league? Uh, what about those things that? That, that the city has to permit and, and execute to make happen in the summer. So those were, you know, those those decisions, it's not like they just happened without any work. There was a lot of monitoring different, you know, what the, what the governor 
was saying, what the health forecasts were, and what was a smart way to proceed with with these summer events, which, you know, unfortunately, um, most, at least June and July, there's going to be very few summer events in the city of Cleveland. And that's, you know, that's fairly tragic because, you know, to me, one of the best parts about Cleveland is the summer and all the, the great events that happen. True. But, you know, we've got to be, you know, safety's got to come first. And I think that as painful as it is, it's, it's the right decision. So, so it's been, it's been like, like everybody, the city of Cleveland has had to adjust. All 8,000 employees were affected in some way. But I'm happy to say that we did not end up having to do any layoffs or furloughs. And I say that today, this could change. Right. But because of the way that the budget has been structured for a number of years, we it was set up in such a way with, where we brought forward some unencumbered cash. Um, and, you know, there is a rainy day fund, but we have not had to lay up for furlough. And I'm very pleased about that because, you know, like we talked about earlier, even though there's options available and employment insurance at all, very difficult to work those, you know, those systems, especially with all of the, the people applying. And you almost make a, you take a bad situation and you make it worse if you increase the number of unemployed in the community. Right. And you know, the number of people that are going to struggle to put food on their table, make their mortgages. So um, I am pleased that we were able to do that. Uh, it's no guarantee that this can go on forever. Um, the only thing that is, uh, not the only thing, but one flip side of that is after a year since I've been on council, we every year has been, you know, the, the budget has been very difficult. It's been tight. You know, some years the goal was just maintaining our same levels. We we're finally getting to a place where we could start, you know, bringing on additional classes of firefighters. We could do additional projects. We're finally getting to a on solid financial footing and then this happened. Right. By and large, we're doing as well. I think we're doing as well as a, an operation size the city of Cleveland can do. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, to, speaking of learning as we go with the city council meetings, I'm sure uh, this, all the departments in the city are learning what maybe some changes they need to make for the future, just in case something like this happens again. Sure. Yeah, we have to be prepared for you know whatever can come our way. I mean, nobody nobody was expecting this, but right. you know we that we should be thinking, whether it's this or something else, you know, we need to be prepared for, to to be flexible, to be nimble, so we can keep delivering the services that the citizens expect. Sure. Um, so speaking of the those services and some of the uh, priorities, what has been the impact on construction projects in Cleveland? Well, construction projects have been, we have prioritized those as moving forward, and I spoke with the uh, director of building and housing and making sure that construction permitting continues and inspections continue is, is is a priority of the city. That being said, this is a difficult environment to operate under in terms of scheduling those visits, um, you know, making sure that the, that the staff and all the right people are there. So it is a priority to keep construction projects moving, and that is one of the divisions that we consider essential but it's been a little bit slower. But when some of the things that we have moved forward on is we're continuing with our with street construction. Uh, we're going to be doing all of our normal street projects this year, and that has started. So that, there's going to be a lot of people working there. You know, the 
other construction projects that are on the books that need to keep going. You know, the police headquarters is, is moving forward uh, as it was intended to do. Um, it's not a city project, but Metro Hospital continues. So despite this, um, despite the crisis that we're in, construction and, and keeping construction projects moving is a priority of the city. Good, good. Is there a uh, target date to build the headquarters, the police headquarters? So there's there's different phases of the of the headquarters, and I don't have it in front of me right now. But the well, I did check in on this recently during this this crisis, and all of the the phases that we are where we need to be with that. There hasn't been a slowdown because the, it's been mostly planning and engineering and architectural uh, considerations right. at this point. But that project will get built, and it's not going to be you know stopped because of this. I'm also on the uh, the committee for the the justice center, uh, whether it's a, um, a justice center, I forget what we're calling ourselves, but have basically the committee to determine the future of the justice center, whether it's new construction, renovation, that's been stalled a bit, I must say, in terms of the, the planning of it, but we're going to virtual meetings for that now, and we're going to keep that moving. So, you know, I'm looking at, you know, a lot of the, the construction projects being, you know, that you know, kind of like that, that 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 momentum builder coming out of this. That we're gonna we're gonna keep building, we're gonna keep people working, and we're gonna you know really try to you know stimulate the economy through these projects best we can. Absolutely. So, um, what prompted me to to give you a call was I we're connected on Facebook and and LinkedIn and various social media, Twitter. I saw you wrote an article in um, in Medium which is an online publication called defining the define the defining challenge of our times. And you address three of the biggest issues that Cleveland deals with right now, the the digital divide training for in-demand jobs and uh, health outcomes disparities. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So all those three big buckets at those three topic areas, they all have one thing in common, which is they're not new. We've been talking about these things for years. There are solutions available, but we haven't executed on them in a in a meaningful way at this point. Uh, digital divide, for example, we've 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 known about it. It's, it's been around for over a decade, but then all of a sudden we had this coronavirus thing hit, and we had to send our kids home to learn remotely. Right. We sent our workforce home to work remotely, but we know that at least 12,000 kids didn't have internet connection. We know that roughly half of the homes in Cleveland don't have a regular paid subscription. So how do we expect our, you know, this cohort of the workforce and our students to get ahead or to even stay even if they don't have these basic capabilities? Um, so I think at a base level, we need to make sure from an equity perspective that everybody has the tools that they need to succeed. Right. Um, you know, the second area is one that is, uh, it, it should be perplexing to people. How can we live in a community where we have thousands of family sustaining jobs available, but we don't have people to fill them, yet we still have unemployment and underemployment? In, in the same community, that should that very notion should shock people. Like that should sh- 
people, you know, into action. And again, we've known about this, but if there was if there if there was a problem before coronavirus, it's a crisis now. Uh, right. We've talked for how many years? We talked about the fact that we do not have enough healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. We do not have uh, enough doctors, nurses, nurses aides, all of the everything that, that falls in this this whole healthcare provider um, employment class. That's something that's been around for years, but we haven't we haven't solved it yet. Right. Um, we talked about the lack of, of of necessary people in you know whether it's information technology, computers, but but specifically that the number of people that are currently trained to do skilled manufacturing to join the skilled trades is not meeting the demand um, for those jobs. And I mentioned the projects before. Um, when they come out of this, there's still going to be a demand for the skilled trades. Uh, the Metro Health Project is going to continue. Police Headquarters is going to continue. Sherwin Williams is going to get built. Um, I'm not sure about Nucleus, but it's, you know, that's, that's a consideration. Justice Center is either going to be, there's either going to be a ground up Justice Center or there's going to be a renovated Justice Center. Doing nothing is not an option with that. So there are going to be projects. It's always going to be street projects. So we, we, we've known that there's this, this deficit of, of, of trained people to fill these very necessary jobs. Why, you know, now it's more than an academic issue. Now this is going to be one of the main ways to come out of this recession is, is through these family-sustaining jobs. But are we really, are we really prioritizing this enough from, you know, from K – from K through 12, you know, from K on, are we really prioritizing the need for these, you know, to get qualified people in these positions? I don't think we are, but I do think that there are solutions out there. I think um, if you look at all of the training programs and all the programs that are available at, at Tri-C, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've, we've, we talked a little bit about, about Cleveland Bills so getting into that, getting getting qualified people on the right track um, to to take these jobs when, you know, before this happened, I, well, let me just even take a step back further to 2016. And when the uh, RNC came to town, we, you know, we met with them. And so, of course, you know, I was doing my bit of advocacy and I was like, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, when you're, Building the this this electronic system for to broadcast to CNN and to MSNBC and everywhere across the, the world, you know that you're using, you know our local you know local 38. You're using our electricians, right. and uh, they were almost uh, uh, I would say dismissive, right? But they kind of like were like, listen, councilman, we're going to use your people, but the problem is we're going to bring out of state people also, and the reason is that you don't have enough. Uh, enough people to meet the demand that we're going to have to to put together a state-of-the-art communication system that's going to broadcast the world. That even to you know build all of the stage accessories, we just didn't have them. Right. So that, that was back in 2016, and, and we've been talking about this. And there there have been programs, but if we really committed to you know getting indoctrinating into our kids. Before 
before they're before they're graduating, before you know, before anybody gets on the wrong track, are we really reaching down into high school, into grade school, and saying, you know, there is a plan. You, if you choose, you know, you could be making, you know, a very good living. You could be making a family uh, sustaining living, and that's kind of a, a term that you know, those of us that like to describe this, you know, it, it kind of fits our our agenda, but the bottom line for people in their jobs is these are good paying jobs. Right. Uh, if you get into an apprenticeship program, I know that just even with, I just, I just happen to know about like Clinton Public Power, you know, with overtime, you know, you complete that apprentice program, you're going to be making, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars very quickly. Um, and, you know, I don't know of any pre-coronavirus, I didn't know any plumbers that didn't have work that weren't, you know, Taking right. that next work and sometimes turning work down. I don't know of any electricians that were that were struggling, you know, pre coronavirus. Right. And I do believe those trends are going to continue. But I just think that we as a community have to take this as more we need to treat this as more than an academic issue. We need to not accept the notion that we can fail kids from from K to twelve and then try to put something together for them right. to get into these apprenticeship programs after that. Because, you know, there's a certain point where, you know, they you know they will lose faith in, in the system, in the process. And we need to, like, keep faith. And we need to, like, get people before, they, before they've given up hope. And I think that's got to be, like, the main job going forward if we really want to um, fill these positions and give kids hope. And basically, for our overall economy, it's essential. We can't we can't continue having having open, high-paying jobs and unemployment and underemployment in, in the same geographic region. It's, right. That's that's not an acceptable situation by anybody's standards. And if if we're looking at what is it going to be that's going to bring us out of this economy, you know, a lot of times in this town, a lot of people wait for the next big thing to drop out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Amazon or whether it's I don't know, pick the you know pick the project of the month. But we need to really double down on what we have. And if we look at the the projects, the construction projects we have in the books, if we were to like have the people ready to go, if we we're shovel ready, you know, and, and ready to hit the ground, I think that's going to be a huge part of our recovery. It's going to be the construction jobs. It's going to be the projects. It's going to be all of the spin-off economy that happens because of these construction projects. So this is crucial, not just, you know, it was probably a time when it was the right thing to do for the, for the kids or for the, the unemployed or underemployed person to try to give them an opportunity. But then it became an issue for industry when they weren't able to find enough people to fill these positions. And now it's a matter for all of us because I think our economy depends on solving this problem. Our recovery depends on making sure that we have people trained to work and making sure because the jobs are there. So we've just got that people trained to work so that they can do those things like get a paycheck, pay taxes, take out a mortgage, go, you know, purchase, you know, participate in the economy. We need, we cannot fail here if, if we expect to succeed long term. Yeah, I agree. What what solutions have you seen in the d- digital divide? I, I saw you make reference to old Brooklyn having a uh, four mile radius free Wi Fi zone. Are there other options yes. like that that could be implemented across Cleveland? There are, and right now, 
Um, there's nothing that's been well tested that will solve our digital divide today. Uh, there's a couple short-term solutions that have taken place that are, are worth watching. The Clinton Municipal School District has put in place a short, a they put together a patchwork of, of a solution for their for their problem. And what that is is they are going to be distributing thousands of hotspots. So they're going to okay. be giving out hotspots to their kids and with, with devices so that if you have to learn remotely, they have these hotspots. And they're going to be, and I believe Sprint is going to be the, um, the provider that provides the, the, the connection. Right. Um, it, it costs something. It's not free, but it's at a discounted rate. What's happening in Old Brooklyn is, is a community Wi-Fi system. And I think with that, there is a range of solutions that are available. Wi-Fi is the best method of getting bang for your buck and providing access to the most people for the most reasonable price. But it's not without its drawbacks. Um, when you have a Wi-Fi system, you will inevitably be challenged with um, trees growing because it's a line of sight type of, type oh. of issue. Mm-hmm. There will be some homes that have brick homes. It doesn't, it doesn't penetrate brick homes as well right. as a wood frame home. And maybe a few windows. So Wi-Fi is the best, um, the best solution for getting access to the most people, but it comes with problems. The, the best solution is fiber to the home. And that is also the most expensive of the options. Sure. But I think in between there, there's a solution. And the way, what I look at is there's models like uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And what they have done is they have used their electric utility to, to put together a, a program whereby they invested in what's called a smart grid program. It basically just allows um, two-way communication and different redundancies. But because of the capability that they had, they were able to provide uh, up to a gig of internet access as well. And through this program, once 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 it took, once they worked out their bugs, it is now operating now, and you can purchase um, 100 banks up to a gig in Chattanooga, and it's been so successful that they return $12 million a year to the general fund from this program. Hmm. So it's definitely been a, a successful method of doing it, but we have to think bigger for when we do that. We have to think about using Clinton Public Power, when you think about using the, you know, the Division of Water and all the assets that we have to really get to that, to a solution like that. Now, I am certainly open to something that because that would be a, a years-long program, and we don't have years. Right. Uh, there's an organization called Digital C that has a um, a program that they're starting in around Metro Health now uh, that that holds some promise. I think that there's that that's definitely worth worth studying. Detroit implemented a model for. It's, it's school children, which is more than a, a temporary, it's a, it's a permanent solution by using 5G. So there are solutions out there, but I think the bottom line is we can't be thinking of this as, a, as an academic issue anymore. Like this right. has to be 
reality, what are we implementing? Right. Um, because this is just this is just too important. Yeah, what we found in Old Brooklyn, by the way, which is a which is a which is a Wi-Fi. What we found is that it is imperfect, but if somebody were to contact us, in almost every case, we've been able to find a solution. Uh, may, it might be like a router that we had to route something indoors. We may, we may have had to take down some tree limbs, mm-hmm. but we've always been able to find a solution. Except for there's with Wi-Fi, and this is one of the drawbacks. Sometimes you do stuff perfectly, um, and it should work, but there's that one house that just can't get it for for some reason, or there's a street that's just too far um, from the connection, and there's no good way to connect them. Right. So. There's always this level of imperfection, but you know that being said, I think there's there's a way to get Cleveland connected in the in the very near future if we're committed to it. It's a big challenge. Yes, yeah, that's this this whole thing's gonna be a big challenge, and and you know that was at the, the point of the article is that you know not only are these things overdue, um, and you know we we talked about them long enough, but I think our recovery depends on it. I mean, that's how we, that's how we come out of this. You know, if, if we would use all available resources to make sure that every child and every, every household had broadband access as a first step. And we made sure that we were, you know, working with the school districts and making sure that, that, you know, children were trained and, and were thinking about a career, you know, from sixth grade on. That, that could have a difference. And, right. and, you know, I think that we are, uh, we're to a point where there's been a lot of great initiatives, like, for example, Say Yes is a, is a tremendous initiative. But um, not everybody succeeds in college. And right. that doesn't mean that if you, you know, for whatever reason, if that's just not your, if that's not how you, you know, want to roll, there are well-paying jobs. There are ways that you can make, you know, plenty of money and have a good, fulfilling career, you know, without. And and what I try to tell people is that yes, they yes pays for college, but they also pay for all of the certificate training programs at Tri C, um, the the manufacturing program it pays for the uh, the building trades program. So there's there's there are programs and resources out there, but now we just have to. We, we just have to do it now. We have to get our people connected. We have to get people trained for jobs. And we have to deal with these, these disparities that we are, again, you know, in law school, we used to get a point for uh, issue spotting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you spotted the issue, you got your point. But you're going to pass the test um, unless you, you know, then came up with, you know, what is the solution? What's the analysis? And what's the, you know, you could just stop at spotting the issue. I think right. a lot of things we've just stopped at issue spotting. So right. it's kind of, we need to take the approach. Okay, we got the issue. Now, what's the solution? And what it, what is the solution or what are some of the solutions on this uh, health outcome disparities? My belief is that we have to, A, accept that this isn't going to be solved by the hospital system. Um, this isn't a matter of who has health insurance and who doesn't, although that helps. Uh, we have to look at this from a community health standpoint. And what I am advocating is, and I just use my own community as an example just because I, I know it best. Sure. But in Old Brooklyn, uh, the Community Development Corporation 
did something that at the time was kind of very unique and not done in Cleveland, but treating community health as a community development issue. Um, and we started with a community health assessment by doing an assessment of what are our health needs in the community. And it wasn't about illnesses. It was about, uh, do you live within 10 minutes of a park? Uh, do you have access to fresh food? Uh, do your children have access to a good education? Uh, is your street safe? Do you feel safe in your home? And I went over the, the other aspects of health that we don't really pay attention to. But I think the way forward is that, A, every neighborhood needs a high-functioning community development corporation. And there is, you know, disparity in that as well in terms of where the good CDCs are and where, you know, where there are gaping holes. But each CDC then needs to take community health on as a community development issue and start with their own health needs assessment and, and what needs what needs to happen for the community's assessment. And every neighborhood's different. Um, you know, in, in Old Brooklyn, our needs will be different than, than other neighborhoods that have more cons- that, that don't answer the question of do you feel safe in your home in you know, the same way as residents of Old Brooklyn do. Uh, you know, do you have does your child have access to a good education? Um, in most, you know, in Old Brooklyn, most of the answer is yes. Some places that won't be true. But, you know, we have to also just remember at all times that, you know, not having a job and not having steady income, you know, that the, the stress that comes with that is a is a health concern in and of itself. Sure. Just the, the very stress that comes with, you know, the, the notion that you don't know where... You know, your next check is coming from. You don't know how you're going to provide for yourself or your family. These are all, you know, we, we can't think of, you know, health in terms of like just just hospital systems or illnesses. We have to look at the entire community and all the different aspects that go into health. It's a multivariate and, and start problem. There. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is all a very important critical, as you say, and a uh, huge task to undertake, but necessary. Right, right. If, if not now, when are we going to do it? Right. This is, this is it. This is the time. Right. So what, what comes next for you and the city council? So first thing is we're going to get back to our meeting schedule, or we're going to have to a meeting schedule. It's going to be different, but we need to get some of our necessary legislation out. Uh, we're going to continue doing what we've been doing. A lot of, you know, a lot of our council members really stepped up, was, you know, assisting with food drives, making sure that um, everybody has food and, and you know, responding to those needs. But basically, once we get our meeting scheduled back in, it's going to be, you know, assessing what do our neighborhoods need to come out of this. So we've got to just keep investing in our whole monitor streets programs. Um, we have to come up with some solutions for our community, some safe solutions for summer events. Um, it's devastating to have Little League canceled. It's devastating to not have outdoor pools because that's a tremendous relief, right. release for kids and for families on hot days. So we have to do the basics, which are make sure that we have a, a, a structure for, you know, dealing with legislation. Um, and then we need to take a look, you know, on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis is what is the path forward? What are we going to do 
to move our communities forward in a, in a post-COVID world. And that'll vary a little bit by neighborhood, but hopefully we can all agree on the big things, which are, you know, making sure that, you know, we have access, we have, you know, people are prepared for the jobs that are available, and we are continually dealing with, you know, health disparities. Um, many of my colleagues, myself included, we've been working to make sure that if there's any seniors that we're concerned about in terms of isolation, there's a care calls program that we have, making sure that that if they want that call, if they want that check-in, that they're connected with the Department of Aging so that they can get a, a checkup call on the day that they that they choose. But really just, you know, coming up with ways to care for your neighbors at a time where you can't really touch them or you can't really come in too close a contact is going to be the challenge. Absolutely, yeah. Well, um, as these as these issues come up, and especially with uh, training people for in-demand jobs in the trades, please don't hesitate to reach out, as you've always done, to um, me, Dave Wandelowski of the Building Trades. Um, you know, ClevelandBuilds.com is the website for the, uh, the trades training program that uh, sort of was initiated in, in response to the state of Ohio's new law that, that prohibits Cleveland from directing its its construction dollars towards Cleveland residents. So, yeah. um, you know, that's ironic that, uh, you know, with all this happening around the same time, that's another hindrance to, you know, putting Clevelanders to work in, in well-paying jobs. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that's one of the most disappointing things that's come out of Columbus in a long time. And, you know, you know, forgive me for, you know, going a little bit off topic, but, you know, that was really one of the most destructive things that, that Columbus has done. And I was so, when uh, it was so, it was so wrong. And when Cleveland challenged it and we were, you know, successful um, locally and, and in the Court of Appeals and the 8th District, 8th uh, Appellate District, wrote such a strong, you know, common sense um, opinion that I kind of stopped following it because I was like, not even this court could so could, could set aside the logic here and find a way to treat subcontractors on road construction projects as employees of the city of Cleveland. But unfortunately, um, you know, the Supreme Court, as well as General Assembly, Lately, they just never fail to disappoint, and they never fail to set aside the law to come up with the political solution. So it's devastating. It's awful. We are going to find a way around it, whether you know whether it's PLAs or whatever it is. We're going to do it. But that was just extremely disappointing. And we we need to have um, we need to have government, business, labor, everybody working in this in the same direction if we're going to come out of this and that was a, a, a tremendous setback a tremendous right. setback so but we are gonna we're gonna we will find a way to get this done and you know the construction employees association yourself the building trades like everybody's been great um in, in, in trying to push this agenda forward i think now we just have to come together and just have a renewed push to get this done absolutely well, we'll be there, and I really appreciate your continued service to the city of Cleveland and leadership. Um, if there's anything we can do, please don't hesitate to reach out. 
Is there any uh, contact information or social media channels that you'd like to uh, to leave with our listeners? Uh, sure. I'm always available um, at uh, kkelly at clevelandcitycouncil.org. Um, I'm at Kevin Kelly CLE is my Twitter uh, feed. And then I've got a, got a few Facebook things going as well. Um, and I, I kind of forget their, their address because I've got a few of them. But um, Clemson City Council has its own Twitter site as well. So just, you know, anybody wants to be in touch, just let us know. We'll make sure that we are we are communicating. I want to thank you. And I want to thank all of your members. Um, I can't, I can't even, you know, before coronavirus, I could tell you what is an important part of the economy, um, this, the, the whole construction, you know, part was. I cannot, cannot tell you enough times how important it's going to be going forward that, that this, that this industry, um, the, you know, the, the, the construction jobs, the projects, all all of this coming together to keep everything, keep these projects on track, get the new ones out of the books and, and get them in the ground, just how important that is to this entire community. So I just want to thank you and your members for everything you do. Uh, keep up the good work, and, uh, you know, you've always got a friend in City Hall and me. Appreciate it, Kevin. Take care. All right. Take care, Tim. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.